This is Healthcare Strategies. Hello and welcome to Healthcare Strategies. My name is Kelsey Medill and I am the Senior Editor of Healthpayer Intelligence and Multimedia Manager for Healthcare Strategies. Value-based care is the holy grail in the payer industry and health insurers are striving to bring providers into value-based agreements and into advanced alternative payment models. But providers may have a hard time transitioning into these models for a host of reasons. To get more insight into how payers can help providers transition into value-based care agreements, we have with us today Troy Smith, Vice President of Cost of Care and Value Programs at Blue Cross and Blue Shield of North Carolina, also known as Blue Cross NC. Troy has been with Blue Cross NC for over 13 years in a variety of roles related to healthcare strategy, reimbursement, and payment transformation. Troy is also on the board of representatives for CAQH, and he is here today to share with us how Blue Cross NC has been working to transform its reimbursement model into a value-based care system through its program, Blue Premier. So Troy, it's so good to have you on Healthcare Strategies today. Very happy to be here. So to start us off, can you give us a little bit about Blue Premier, just the basics, what is it and how did it get started? Sure. So Blue Premier is a multi-year value-based contract um, where we are transitioning our value partners to downside risk. The elements within the contract have uh, quality targets, data sharing elements, as well as total cost of care targets. And the impetus of, of how we got Blue Premier started, we've been doing value for a while, ever since the ACA rolled out, but it was done primarily on smaller segments, smaller products. And where we really changed our mentality uh, is when Patrick Conway and Rahul Rajkumar came on board and we really went uh, big time with it. We wanted every member aligned with a primary care physician. We wanted all of our providers to get into a risk-based contract. And in 2018, we went out in earnest to roll Blue Premier across our state. And so with the goals of affordability, improved quality, improved member experience, we've been able to get a lot of traction in the program. And basically, we have 10 of our top largest health systems included in the program. And we have a cross-section of many independent primary care entities also enrolled. Excellent. And I know now it has been a couple of years, as you said, 2019 when it started, now we've got a couple of years under the belt. What have been some of the biggest challenges that the Blue Premier program has faced in that time? Well, COVID, obviously, in the last year, part of it relates to making sure that we're putting our common members and patients first. So how do you look at a value arrangement when trends are changing pretty dynamically? And so we really tried to work with our ACO partners in that regard to understand what was taking place on the ground and try to keep them apprised through our reporting mechanisms as we were monitoring 2020. The other part, I'd say, when we wanted to launch the program, it was just really about the, the newness of it and the scale. We try to get as many members as possible into the risk-based arrangement across all segments. Some payers may only do it for ACA or Medicaid or Medicare Advantage, but we really try to have like a, a full stack of all of our membership in the reimbursement program. And the goal of that was, was to align with the clinical pathways or the care practices that our ACO partners leverage. And so if you're talking about what have been the biggest challenges in the last few years, the biggest lift was just getting this thing off the ground 
and getting everybody comfortable with the concepts and the scope of what we're doing. We view Blue Premier as a reimbursement program. We view it as part of the core change of reimbursement to change the signal of what we find important. And I think getting everybody acclimated to that concept first has been a big lift. And then the second piece would probably be what we just discussed a little bit, COVID. Makes sense. And I know that you have been, as you said, through the scaling process, been bringing in more and more healthcare practices and health systems into the Blue Premier program in the past couple of years. I know different practices will have different struggles when it comes to transitioning into value-based care. Um, so I was wondering, what have you been seeing as some of the major barriers to providers entering into those agreements? And yeah. how do you work with providers to overcome those barriers? Like I mentioned, that typically just getting everybody used to the idea of being accountable. Mm-hmm. In normal contract negotiations, it can take six to nine months just to get an ACO on board with a contract. Part of that goes to the level of detail when we're looking at like how is trend calculated, how are members attributed, what does quality mean? Uh, <laughs> tell me the metrics that you're looking at. And then we may have to partner with other actuarial firms that the ACO partners might want to bring in and explain the math and be transparent with how everything's going to be calculated. So getting folks on board, it's not so much the concept. Everybody wants to improve. Everybody wants to make sure that we're addressing affordability. Mm -hmm. But when you get down into like how you're actually going to measure it and implement it and report on it, that is probably one of the bigger lifts there, just getting people on board. Mm -hmm. The next piece is this, how are you going to enable them? Because just because you're in a risk-based contract doesn't mean you have all the tools. It doesn't mean you have all the insights into like, where can I save money? Where do I have improvement potential? And so we have a provider engagement team that meets regularly with our ACO partners. Here's how you're doing. Here's where you might have a savings opportunity. Here's what we're seeing clinically taking place out in the market. And so many of our partners are taking active advantage of that engagement team And that's on top of just sharing regular reports and regular information through our various tools and channels today. So explaining the math, telling them where the reporting and where the areas of improvement is going to come from. And then finally, when they have questions or if they need follow-ups on how they actually did for performance, we make sure that our actuarial team's available for deep dives. And they'll go out virtually now, but they will go out (laughs) and explain what's taking place and what they saw in the trends. And we really strive to be as transparent as we can be as far as like how the mechanics are actually occurring. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about that reporting process? I imagine that when you're working, as you said, across so many different segments, I'm curious how that works on the reporting side and and the data collection side. Yeah. The other wrinkle being a blue plan is that we have like host members. We have members from other plans across the country that are part of, let's say, Blue Cross Arkansas, but live here in North Carolina because their company has a presence in our state. And we need to make sure that they're included in the in the program as well. I think the first part, just universally across all the segments, is just aggregating and, and stacking up the information and just making sure that it's matching what we need to do. You've heard probably in other conversations, things about like provider rosters or like when you're defining who the ACO is, is this doctor really in your ACO or are they just part of your system? We strive to just get that baseline as pure as we can get from the roster to the claim set to the timeliness of making sure that that data is coming in correctly 
especially from other data sources like other plans. Once that's in place for the segment by segment view, it really depends upon the type of arrangement we might have. Some of our segments are more PMPM based. And so when we've set our targets, they're at that macro PMPM level. We're, we're getting our math right. We're getting our actuaries to help us on the total cost of care targets, and then we'll, we'll present that. For other segments, let's say like Medicare Advantage, we are going more of an MLR approach. And so the math is pretty similar, but you have to be nuanced in how you're calculating that. And if there are other elements that you want to highlight, like um, making sure that it ties into uh, quality performance, care gap closure, quality metric improvement, just making sure that that's a total package. It's something that we focus on. So a lot of what we do behind the scenes to make the ACO work is that blocking and tackling, trying to present as complete and accurate and timely picture as we can for our ACO partners as they're working through things on their end. The other side of, of the house, when we think about our ACO partners, they are working with multiple payers. So what they want from us is they want attribution and claims extracts to load into their tools and then aggregate that across different payers and different segments uh, to see where they have opportunities for their internal pathways. And so this whole dynamic of us internally setting up our own reports, making sure that we're as pristine as possible, getting it out to them, that's a big lift for us. And then understanding what's going on outside of our four walls and understanding what the providers need and how they're aggregating that information that's another area that we spend a fair amount of time in, making sure that that's the crux of enablement. Thank you for breaking that down. And so despite the kind of challenges of getting it off the ground, the, the sort of nuanced, as you said, manner of reporting and disseminating information, this program has repeatedly produced savings so far for Blue Cross NC. Yeah. And I was curious, what areas have you seen the biggest success in reducing spending or improving quality of care? And um, kind of if you could shed some light on what strategies do you think have motivated those improvements? Yeah. So at large, we've had two years of savings. This last year for 2020, we estimated about 200 million in savings, gross savings. The previous year was 153 million. A lot of what we're looking at there is a combination of primarily utilization driven savings, but we also are including some of our contract savings in there as well. It's because we view Blue Premier as a reimbursement construct, not an incentive program that we're able to aggregate all of that information together to say, here's what the gross savings look like. As far as like areas improvement, we've seen like a 15% reduction in unplanned hospital readmits. We're looking at increasing the percentage of members who are having their blood pressure regularly monitored. We're also seeing an increase, a pretty large spike in, for example, 10,000 colorectal screenings that we saw in 2019 versus 2018. And really, all of those metrics, when you combine them, it comes down to having shared goals, having shared communication patterns, like I've, I've been talking about with reporting and provider engagement, and really trying to let the ACOs practice the clinical game that they need to manage in order to achieve these results. Each ACO is different from what they need to focus on. Some may have a higher Medicare Advantage member population than others. Some might be might skew more ACA than others. But really, we are here to enable them with the best information and most up-to-date performance stats to say, here's what's working, here's what's not. 
And then we trust them to turn around and produce those savings over time. That's excellent. Yeah, that element of trust is something that I know has historically been difficult to achieve between providers and payers, but it sounds like recognizing the skills that the ACO has and managing those patient outcomes is key to establishing that trust. Absolutely. Absolutely. Excellent. Well, so, you know, big question, what does the future hold for Blue Premier? Value-based care is always evolving. The healthcare industry as a whole is always evolving and always adapting. And certainly we've seen that in 2020 at its height. So what is next for Blue Premier? You know, there's there's a couple of different elements. Um, If you look at just the scope of what we've, we've been able to accomplish as a collective team at North Carolina, and that's with our provider partners, we have 10 of our largest health systems in the program. We have 870 independent primary care practices enrolled in the program, and and we have some partners that are helping us in that dimension. And so we have a really good base in our state around what Blue Premier looks like. So first and foremost, we want to keep the momentum going, and we want to make sure that we're executing and we keep delivering on savings. So that is our North Star and making sure that the program is successful in that way. We're also looking to expand our footprint. So we have large systems involved, but we also need to look at those small and mid-sized systems. Some of them might be rural. And so figuring out engagement models, we are talking with Caravan, working with Caravan to see if we can use them as partners to be able to help get those smaller footprint health systems involved in a value-based construct. We're also looking to move to downside risk. And so the first few years of our ACO contracts are upside. And so being able to think about, are you ready to move to downside? Let's make sure that we're assessing things the right way. What level of risk are you able to tolerate? Do you have the tools in place? Do you have the information that you need from us? Those are some of the things that we're working on. We're looking to expand our specialty models. We have a kidney care model that we launched earlier this year, and then we want to expand that to maternity and cardiology and orthopedics here in the next few years. And then finally, we're looking at primary care capitation. One of the things that we heard pretty explicitly via COVID is that cash flow became an issue when people were self-selecting not to go see the provider. And so we view capitation as a way to not only help, uh, hopefully with cash flow and guaranteed income, but also use that as the next stepping store, the evolution as to where we need to go for overall shared accountability and risk. And so all of those elements, keep keeping the savings coming in, trying to work with small, medium, and rural systems to get them involved in our value-based constructs, getting to downside risk, looking at PCP capitation, those are all on the docket for us as we expand our value programs. And looking even more broadly than that, looking at the healthcare system as a whole, I know that, I mean, you've given some great insights here. I also know that Blue Cross and Blue Shield is kind of a unique sort of payer model. What do you think is the next big thing in value-based care and payment transformation as a whole for the the industry? I know that's a giant question, (laughs) but what I'm kind of trying to get at is like, what are the kinds of things that we should be taking from Blue Premier's experience in this area and that can be kind of applied more broadly to the healthcare system as a whole to move forward as the healthcare industry into value-based care? Wow. Uh, big question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so a couple of things or maybe a couple of learnings of what I think has worked well and then why we're focusing on certain things that I think are industry aligned. Mm-hmm. Historically, you know, if you look at what Dr. Conway, Dr. Rajkumar brought to our plan, 
they came in with their experience from CMS and they gave us the license to really dream big. And so the model that we had where we were committed to value, we were working value-based programs, value-based constructs, but to come in and say, this needs to be something that everyone's participating in. This needs to be something that employer groups are getting into. It's not a health program. It's not a carve out. It's something that is core reimbursement and everybody needs to be on board. That boldness and, and that audacity and that license to dream big, that really helped create this great base for us. And I think if more payers and particularly blues plans and some of the nationals go in with this kind of broader approach, I think we'll have more of a uniform base for value-based care across the country. I think when you have that base with primary care and you're letting those primary care physicians be the quarterbacks that, that we aspire for them to be, guiding members, directing quality, helping them with specialty care, keeping them out of the hospital when needed. Then the next piece is going to be like, how do you get the specialists involved? A lot of our members, even though that they're aligned with a primary care physician, not all of the product constructs, we don't have HMOs in our market. There's no mother may I approach to going and see a specialist. Many health plans across the country have up to 10% of folks that just don't use primary care or any care. And, and when they would need to go to someone, they just go right to a specialist. So figuring out how to get the specialists included, whether it's bundled payments, whether it's aggregators with a lot of the venture capital that we're seeing start up, whether it's the plan coming up with their own risk aggregation model and, and trying to help specialists take on more overt risk. I see that being a big driver for us, but also in the industry. And as evidence, you can just take a look at how many VC-backed firms are out there shopping their wares to say, we think we have a better mousetrap to help enable that change. And I think the, the final piece I'll, I'll leave you with is figuring out how social determinants or drivers of health integrate into the value model. So the announcement that Massachusetts had made, I think United had another similar announcement earlier this week. Those elements where you're integrating reimbursement into making sure that we're addressing health equity, that we're collecting data on different specialties related to race, ethnicity, language, et cetera, those things matter. And I think because we don't all have uniform data on that and because we're not all looking at things from the same start point as far as like being able to design programs around that, we're going to see a lot more lift there where plans are going to introduce their own approaches. And then also, I think there's going to be a lot more partners that come along and say, if you're committed to this and everybody is, then how do you activate more on drivers of health strategy, integrate it into value-based care, make it part of your quality metrics or make it part of your data sharing arrangements. And then when you find those equity improvement opportunities, what are you doing about it? That's probably going to be another big thing. So hopefully scope, if I'm going <laughs> to encapsulate that a big run on sentence there, <laughs> it'd be scope. Where are we going to see people grow and try to get this across every member, uh, every physician, every segment with from a plan perspective, specialty models, either plan-driven or partner-driven, vendor-driven, or, or even CMS-driven, how are you expanding the specialty footprint? And then finally, drivers of health, how do you have the tools, technologies, and outcomes that are integrated into value-based contracts, just as we have other quality elements and data sharing elements in place today? 
Thank you so much. Those are really impactful points. And it was so great to hear your thoughts on this, Troy. Thank you for coming on to the Healthcare Strategies today. Thank you. Listeners, we'd love to hear your thoughts about this episode. Feel free to reach out to me at kwadil at extelligentmedia.com. That's K-W-A-D-D-I-L-L at extelligentmedia.com to share your thoughts. You can also use that email to let us know if there are any health industry related questions or stories you would like us to consider covering. And if you liked this episode and it sparked some thoughts for you, please head over to Apple and give us a few stars and a positive review. Thank you for listening. This has been an Extelligent Healthcare Media production. 